0: Hi, my name is Jeremy Wagstaff, you're listening to Living in a Pandemic. It's March the 30th, 2020. This is the first podcast of the series. As of today, there are 715,660 COVID-19 cases in the world, 4,093 of them in Australia. 33,579 people have died. We start the series with Tim, who lives in New South Wales, Australia. I knew Tim when we both worked at Reuters in Singapore about five years ago. He made me feel fat and slovenly when he'd arrive in the office in bicycle gear, barely breaking a sweat despite the humidity. Our friendship didn't extend much beyond the occasional chat, and one day he told me he was leaving to grow pepper back in Australia. I had sort of kept up with his efforts via Facebook, and last time I'd looked, things seemed to be going well. Him being in New South Wales and not posting much on Facebook in recent months, should have been a warning. Hello. Hi Tim.
1: Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm faring quite well.
0: Yeah. I'm looking <laughs> yes. at uh, your profile picture is uh, what look like uh, black peppers, are they? <laughs>
1: that's it. Native Native pepper. Yes. That's native right. Pepper.
0: Okay. Excellent. And are they thriving?
1: They're all burned at the moment. <laughs> oh really? Yes, yeah, we got wiped out in the fires, and burnt the whole farm. So,
0: oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. We're
1: we're in the process of um, reassessing plan B and uh, and working out what we're going to do. Uh, oh. It'll be a slightly modified version of or maybe considerably the modified version of plan A. Oh,
0: I'm really sorry to hear that. I thought that you might have been been spared. I Oh dear. No,
1: it was a it was a hell of a summer actually. It's been it's interesting because I was talking to my wife, a lot of her colleagues are so you know, I know that we're all locked up at home with this COVID-19 and they're sort of going through a bit of a grieving process because everything's changed and the world's upside down and she says that I went through this all three months ago I feel
0: fine
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was it was a really a crazy summer we had the the worst drought on record the worst fires on record and as soon as the fires sort of finished we had the heaviest rain in 40 years uh, which washed all the topsoil away and flooded the rivers and now this this uh, virus so it's just rolling from one thing to the next really so you know we're, we're in we're in the groove <laughs>
0: wow that's really heavy because you had got it looking so nice you everything was working well right you're yes. doing good crops yes. wow. so the, the 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 fires were what about two months ago was it uh, the we've
1: the, the fire started late november that affected us okay and then we were first burned in early december and it would come back again and again and we were burned seven times in one month uh, and then the last burn was in in like early early January yeah it's all very strange
0: yeah no that must be really difficult so and then the the rains after that does that are you already kind of there's not much left to affect or would did that affect you? well, as well?
1: It, it was such heavy rain and because the forests had all burned there was no leaf litter to hold the soil in place so huge you know, hundreds of thousands of tons of topsoil that's washed out of the forests which is just bizarre we had 600 millimeters of rain in three days here it's bizarre weather bizarre seasons and and now we have we have covid19 just to top things off it's a bit of a different town most australian towns this size wouldn't have the, 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 the 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 culture or the the facilities here but we're on the main road between canberra and the coast and a lot of Canberrans travel through here, uh, up until this year anyway, uh, and uh, that makes the town quite different, so it's an interesting community. But yeah, 1,800-odd people, and, and it's changed quite a bit because of the virus, just with people staying home, a lot of businesses have shut. Mm. And there's other people, been, for other people it's business as usual. There have been no cases reported in, in, our, in our community yet, right. um, but it's only a matter of time really.
0: How long have people been kind of conscious of it and taking steps? Is this relatively recent or has it been going on for yeah, a while? Yeah, no, it's relatively recent. Like three mm. weeks ago? Okay.
1: Probably three weeks ago, people started to really take it seriously. China and and Singapore and Japan were very early to act, mm. but there wasn't that much notice taken of it. And then, of course, when things fell apart in Italy, the uh, reverend's ears pricked up and they thought, oh, we, we need to be paying attention to this. Right,
0: <laughs> right. Well, um, you said that sort of for for many people it's life as normal. Does that mean sort of people walking around without masks and not trying to maintain social distancing or is it a sort of mix? Of It's a mix. Hmm. I
1: mean, you do see people here and there with masks. I mean, it's it's not like living in Singapore when you know, every flu season lots of people would wear masks oh. on the public transport zone. In Australia, people don't. And it's a bit, it's a bit of a, a cultural change for them, a shift that some people maybe are not comfortable with. So, I mean, in the town that I live in, it's a really interesting little town that's got a great main street, with lots of interesting places to eat and so on, and all the cafes and so on, are they're all open still, but then you can't sit there. You can only have takeaway coffees and things like that. Right. Normally, my wife and I would go out for a walk early in the morning, and we'd have a coffee at a cafe on our way back home, and we don't do that, of course. So you get people going, getting their takeaway coffees, and all the chairs and tables are Folded up in the back of the restaurant mm. because they're not allowed to trade as a restaurant, and then everyone stands around outside drinking their coffee <laughs> in paper cups. <laughs> but I mean, but it, usually respecting uh, a healthy distance, so people you will know, stand three or four metres apart mm. and talk more loudly and have a chat. But they'll still go out there and socialise because right. this town is really built around that. For a lot of people, that sort of inter- that main street interaction is is people's you know, daily information feed really, mm. and they want to know about. What other people are doing with regard to the virus and what's happening with businesses and and what other people are, are doing I and mean, that's probably a, a good way for them to do it but it is a little a little strange to have all these people right. out on the main street at eight in the morning with takeaway coffee cups
0: um <laughs> right. standing on the sidewalk right right how about your kids i mean you said that your daughter right wasn't particularly excited about being pulled out of school, but this sort of onslaught of crises in your life, does it make them more resilient? Do you find that they kind of able to shrug this sort of stuff off, or do you sort of <sighs> see an impact that beneath the surface? Yeah, I think
1: uh, that's a question I could answer in a couple of years' time if if, <laughs> if how resilient they are. Right. It's been a very trying summer for them. They're young. They're they're eight and twelve. My son just turned twelve. He was eleven during the summer. And they've they've not really experienced anything like that in the past, so it was all new to them, and it was quite relentless. It wasn't like a big fire came through one week, and the next week we had to start repairing the fences. It went on for for months, and was 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 really was very drawn out and long. And I don't know if we were going to see how resilient they are for a little while. Mm. There definitely you could see there were there was evidence of, of trauma for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's a given. How they respond to that over the longer run, we'll see how good a parents we are. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. I guess at this point it's worth saying that, you know, we met because we were colleagues at Reuters, but whereas I would sort of take a taxi for a five-minute drive, you would always come in and uh, having just got off your bike and you showed me pictures of you going on biking holidays with your family to Korea, I think was one of them, right?
1: Yes, yeah, that's correct, yes. Uh,
0: so there was already some sense of uh, family unity and adventurous spirit in there that presumably will lay at least some foundation for their mental toughness.
1: Going back through the summer and, and, and looking at the, the, the trauma we experienced in the fires and so on, and the things to do to sort of deal with the the, the stresses on mental health and and, and those... Concerns, which are really were very evident in the whole in the whole of the community, it was very evident to see the strain that people were under, and the, some of those things that we do, I think, are sort of textbook treatments for that for that experience. So that makes that gives me confidence. You know, we eat well, we exercise regularly, we're very social as a family. You know, we don't have TV; we all sit around the table and talk every evening, and we do spend a lot of time with our children. And try and limit their device time and that sort of thing, and also try and give them s- some outlets and skills that aren't, you know, just, you know, playing games online with their friends. We try and get them out to build things outside or what have you, right. and all of those things I think combined, you're right, probably can can help someone become more resilient, but. There's a whole range of variables in there as well that we'll, we'll see <laughs> what right. effects they have that we may or may, may not have taken those things into account.
0: Right. And how about yourself? I mean, obviously, I, I love the plan, the plan A and B, plan B to sort of spread the risk around and sort of make the most of, of uh, the, the other skills and interests you have. That, that makes a lot of sense. But I can imagine mentally it took quite a toll because I remember, you know, you set this, you set this farm up. What was it about four years ago, five years ago? Now you you started it, and yeah, uh, it was, yeah. Actually, it was, we we bought the farm. We've owned it for twenty odd years,
1: and it okay. sat there. And then when we left Singapore and moved back to Australia at the end of uh, sixteen, I think it was two thousand sixteen, okay. right. we started that business pretty much straight away. Okay, but it, it's it's interesting. So, like, I, I spent many many years working at Reuters in in what people would probably consider to be quite Challenging and difficult stories and environments. Not only are you going to places which in, in the news game are often either violent or, or Tragic or what have you but you have to deal with people who are experiencing those those hardships those tragedies and that, that they are the source of the story mm. So it's that's very it's quite taxing mentally and I certainly found The summer that we just experienced here a lot more traumatic than any experience I had at Reuters. And I guess part one of the reasons is it's happening to, happening to me. I wasn't viewing the, the world through the lens of, of, of journalism. I was, I was part of it myself. So I felt it was, it was certainly a lot more difficult to deal with mentally this summer than anything I've, I'd experienced as a journalist.
0: Hmm. How did that sort of manifest itself? Did you just find yourself overwhelmed but at some point. A few a,
1: a few, a few things. One was being endlessly exhausted. You know, to to go to bed and sleep a solid eight hours and wake up in the morning and just be completely exhausted was, I mean, with Mariah, my wife, and I both realised was happening. And there there was also plenty of poor quality sleep. And I lost weight actually over this course of the summer. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't have that much to lose really. So I did lose some weight. But I also got to a stage. Where, because I, I work as my, professionally as a firefighter as well, and I found that I would really much, much rather go and fight a fire on someone else's place than my own. And I spent a lot of days at my own farm with uh, neighbours and friends and and professional firefighters coming out there to work on those fires and try and protect the property. And it got to the point where I would say to my wife, I really don't want to go out to the farm at the moment. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be there. I just don't, don't want to experience it, and mm. I would go for you know many days at a time without going out there, even even though I I could have been productive and done things out there, you know, to repair it and what have you. I spent a lot of time just you know not wanting to be anywhere near it because I I had you know, it was such a difficult and a tiring time there. I was I would rather turn my attention to something else. Right. Yeah.
0: How did you How did you overcome that?
1: Well, I think I'm still dealing with it at the moment. I think it takes quite a while. I mean, there are the 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 very basic things that you learn, in, especially in the in the fire brigade. They've been quite proactive about mental health of firefighters in the last few years, which is, I think, really a a, a great thing. Hmm. Just having a sort of a basic checklist of making sure you eat well, and you exercise, and you see friends, and you take some downtime to not be working all the time or thinking about what you need to do and all those sort of regular things write down you know, not so much a journal but just notes to keep your your mind about you know, you know things that are concerning you. you i was writing down on on my computer a document of how what my options were to deal with, with challenges facing me and what the pros and cons are of each option and all those sorts of things which just help you sort of clear Clear your mind uh, a bit and just sort of work your way through it. And that's, you know, it's not the fastest process, but it really does make things a lot, a lot easier in the long run to to get on top of those. Otherwise, I think there's a danger if you don't deal with deal with those things when they do appear that they'll just get worse, and then right. you might get to a stage where it really affects your health badly, and and it affects your 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 family life and so on in a way that you you, you really don't want to go to.
0: Right, and. and- do you have people you can turn to? Or are there facilities for that to try to kind of lift some of that burden?
1: It's through the Fire Brigade, there's all sorts of resources available. It's really cool. And, and I actually didn't use any of them, <laughs> partly <laughs> because I think, you know, I have, a, I have a great family life, which helps me, and I talk to my wife about it a lot. And, and I use other, other online resources as well. And I talk to friends, friends, you know, who might be, may or may not be facing similar challenges, but so many of us who are affected by by the, the season we've just had that it's in some ways is easier to connect with people if they're having similar experiences i sort of found my own path which 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 showed good results i think our experience has been quite interesting having this sort of rolling series of crises right. which has started you know uh, october last year or even before with the drought really getting bad like i mentioned before that my my wife has colleagues at the university in Sydney who are finding it quite stressful at the moment being isolated, having to change the way they work, work online, lots of new things, lots of experiences that they weren't expecting to have happen and and, and an increased workload. And they're they're suffering quite badly. And and she was feeling that she could really quite relate to them because she'd been through a different but similar sort of set of anxieties earlier in the summer. And could could be quite empathetic towards her her colleagues who were going through all these different stages. I guess people must go through facing challenging situations like this. For us, we we know we both had a lot of a lot of stress during the summer, and it manifests itself particularly as anxiety and you know painting over what would otherwise be quite a small decision you might have to make about something, and not wanting to make any decisions and. I think you mentioned it, you know, potentially isolating yourself from your social networks who you would normally get you know, your everyday mm. support, social support from. And I think that the reason why the, the, the COVID-19 situation will compound that. I mean, we went through this experience in the town where other community we live with the fires and lots of people were having those experiences. But we could still go and if you wanted to go and see your friend and talk to your friend about it, you could. You can't do that as easily if you're isolated in your house. Mm. So I think that will compound people's access to resources, especially those informal resources and networks that people tend to rely on without even really realising it perhaps, that that's mm. an essential part of their, their mental health strategy. People don't don't think about it. If you don't find you're suffering any, any mental health Ills at all, you probably don't consider that you're actually continually practicing a solution to avoid future problems, and using your, your friends, your social networks, and what have you. I think a lot of people will be challenged to to find something to replace that hmm. in the current situation. And part of the problem would be, you know, as an external viewer looking and saying, "Yes, there's the issue." But if it, if it's you and and you're looking at it from the inside. You might not even recognise that as being an issue until things have taken a, a turn for the worse. Right. It's a it's a it's a case of trying to be as self-aware as you can and and realising that you know social isolation is exactly that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we it's a, it's a term that gets thrown around so much at the moment, but it brings all sorts of challenges with it besides just work and school.
0: Yeah. 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 As you say, in a sort of informal setting, most people it's not the first thing that. It's not the explicit reason why they might hang out with somebody, have a drink with somebody, have a coffee with someone, somebody. But organically, the the subject will come around, and the kind of healing process, or at least cathartic process of of sharing this, will, will come about. But I suspect, especially among men, it's not the first thing they do. I need to need to talk about this. I need to get it off my mind. Please, can we have a chat? It's sort of, oh, what are you doing? And then th- rolling through a whole load of subjects before getting to the thing which is. Probably weighing on them the most, and if it's it's hard to replicate that real world thing when you just go to a pub or whatever and, and have a beer uh, with them. Yes. Uh, yes.
1: No. I hmm. I think I think completely. And the and there's there's research that my wife has pointed out to me in the past. Not because I'm a I'm not a particularly heavy beer drinker or anything, but in <laughs> in towns in Australia where the population has shrunk due to urbanisation and 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 you know large corporations taking over farmland and so on and communities uh, population has shrunk it was the moment when the pub closed that there was a spike in mental health issues among men in those communities hmm. not because beer supplies their answer but because going and having beer at the pub and seeing your mates there was what provided that that essential say um, mental health research uh, sorry um, resource you know sitting there over a beer chatting to a bloke about the sheep price or something, whatever it is you're doing, right. price of wool, on the outset sounds pretty shallow and ordinary, but it's kind of an essential part of that process for a lot of people. And now there's no pubs in Australia open at all, right. <laughs> um, right. you know, right. and that's a one outlet for a lot of people that they won't have access to. And working in, for Fire and Rescue, as I do, Last week, the station officer came into this, to our fire station. We had a bit of a, a long chat about how we're going to deal with COVID-19 and how we're going to work on the ground together because we do actually work alongside them a lot. And one of the first things he pointed out was expect to see a big, big spike in domestic violence for that very reason. Oh, this socialisation is, is putting stresses on people, the outlets. They would normally have all these informal resources people lean on normally a lot of them aren't available.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's worrying, I suppose a good sign that the emergency services recognise that this is likely to be one of the early sort of impacts, early manifestations of issues uh, behind this social isolation, behind the doors. All right, Tim, well, best of luck. I I hope uh, hope everything goes okay, and uh, I'll catch up with you in a week or two.
1: Lovely. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Cheers, mate. Bye. Okay, Jeremy. Bye-bye.
0: That was Tim in Braidwood, Australia. We'll get back to him in a few days and see how he's coping. You've been listening to Life in a Pandemic, produced by myself, Jeremy Wagstaff, and Sari Sulasono. If you're not already doing so, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and find old ones. And if you like it enough, make your feelings known on iTunes or whatever service you're listening to this on. If you'd like to comment or participate, please drop us a line at pandemic at cleftstick.com. My name is Jeremy Wagstaff. Goodbye for now and stay well wherever you are.